Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. It is, oh my God, time's moving too fast. It's April 12th, 2023, and we have a VIP with us tonight. We have James Martin. He is going to be setting us all straight on real history, not the stuff we were fed when we were in school. We're going to hear the real deal from James tonight, all the way from France. He is staying up late to talk to us, and we're very grateful. But first, PK, what's going on? How are you doing in Tucson? Well, a little warm because it's 90 today for a change. Wow. <laughs> it's wonderful. It feels good. But I thought I'd take a, take a look at the new moon, which is coming up. And we haven't talked about that in some time, but the new moon is going to be April 20th. So those of you that are interested have a couple of weeks to get your new moon wishes put together. And it happens 13 times a year. The sun and the moon are in the same sign at the same time. So the new moon is very important for you because it gives a lot of extra energy and it allows you to get some clarity about your wishes and ideas to to set your wishes to paper. So each new moon is an opportunity to make 10 wishes around the moon sign. These 10 wishes need to be made within 48 hours of the new moon, and they need to be in writing. Put them up and revisit them as you go throughout the year so you can see how these things have worked out for you and if your wishes have come true. The new moon is supercharged as we have a solar eclipse happening at the same time. So this is also a year when we have two new moons in the same sign, which adds to the power of this new moon. So add Aries and Mars energy. Aries is the ruler of Mars. So there's going to be a lot of power going on for the next six months. So it's an excellent time for you to put pen to paper and tuck it away so you can follow through to see how well it worked. Never heard of that. Oh, that's excellent. Yes, that's excellent. Well, I'm going to start on that right away. So I'll be ready. I'm going to. When this thing I can write it better than I can. Speak at my voice is very craggly with our winds here. Uh oh. Good, but it's okay. Well, I've survived because I, it feels good. Good. Well, good. And again, I want to mention to everybody that on our homepage for SupernaturalGirls.com, we have a whole bunch of incredible, leading-edge health products. So take a look there and take a look especially at the Endolite band because that thing's amazing. I've been using it every day. You put it on only for a half an hour in the morning and if you want, a half an hour at night. So this is not something that you wear all the time. It's very high-tech. It's very powerful. Seven times more powerful than their earlier watch, the Spectra Plus, which I also have. But this thing is is really incredible. It's very youthening. It's very energizing. And there's also three different modes. So if you're ready to go to sleep and you want to wear the endolite band, you can use the sleep mode, which I love because then I'm out like a light for the whole night. So it works great. So take a look on our website because if you want to order something and you go through our website link and you use the code Supernatural Girls you will get about $100 off the price of this Endolite band. So make sure you go there. And if you have any questions about it, then just send me an email. I'll be happy to answer them. And I was just in touch with the company Weber Medical today in Germany, 
And I have invited Dr. Weber back on the show to talk about all of his latest inventions, including the Endolite Band, so you can hear all of what he's been doing and offering to people. And if you recall, during his last interview, we talked at length about the IV laser. This thing Mm -hmm. is an IV that sends laser light through your entire bloodstream. It is amazing. And unfortunately, there's nobody near me that has this thing. But I have talked to people who have had the treatment up in New Hampshire or out in California where they have these clinics that have this technology. And some of them have had terrible Lyme disease, horrible symptoms, fatigue, not able to function. They said after one session with this IV laser, they walked out of the office like a new person. So... This technology is absolutely brilliant, and it works. And, again, when you buy something like an Endolite band, you're taking your health, as I always say, into your own hands. So check it out, and we'll be sure to let you know when Dr. Weber is going to be on to give us all the details about the laser and how he has devised these things for us to use at home and in clinics. It's just amazing stuff. So... I have so much running through my little mind right now, but mostly (laughs) I'm so excited to finally have James Martin here to tell us the truth because we have talked at length about how we've been lied to. And let's face it, it's not just about being lied to right now, about contemporary America, politics, whatever. This this stuff started, these lies started a long time ago. So James is here to tell us what really happened. Now, James is a British trade unionist, historian, economist, and lecturer, having previously worked in finance, employment law, and now is a lecturer in further and higher education. As an historian, James believes that excuse me, understanding the past is crucial to understanding our future. Isn't that the truth? Noting that evidence, yes, should guide us, but our minds should be open to ideas. James has studied a wide range of fields, including industrial relations, equalities, history and politics, OSH, and astronomy, and has recently completed a doctor of education to further his role as a lecturer. James has taught for a number of academic institutions, ranging from Ruskin Oxford to Northern College. Now, he's also, in our neck of the woods, a member and investigator of the Worsley Paranormal Group since its founding in 2003. He has made numerous appearances on radio and television and is a regular on night vision radio. He has described himself as a history geek and a space nerd and has dedicated a large portion of his more recent life to research into one of our favorite topics, the Knights Templar the Roman Empire, and the Western traditions of spirituality. So, James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's, uh, well, good evening, everyone, uh, or uh, good morning, or good afternoon, uh, wherever you're (laughs) (laughs) It's good good to be with you. It's what, 1.30 in the morning in France right now, where you are? Yeah, yeah. which, you know, is, is usually the time that I'm uh, up and awake anyway, so it's not too late. Oh, you night owl, you. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Because, We're grateful. Yeah, we are so grateful. And you have a beautiful new book called Uncharted, A Rediscovered History of Voyages to the Americas Before Columbus. And you co-authored this with the late Tim Wallace Murphy, a dear friend of yours, right? Yeah, um, I mean, Tim um, started this uh, this book in, or certainly in note format, uh, back in 2014. And when we uh, met and uh, started to cultivate our friendship, um, it was pretty quickly that we had mutual interest in uh, not just the the Knights Templar and history generally, but this this topic of pre-Columbian. Voyages, for me, was a very exciting uh, field. And um, at the time I was uh, studying my master's, um, oddly enough, in 
economics, history and politics. Um, and there was one part I, I was studying was actually about the, uh, the Old Norse or the Vikings, um, looking at how they were trading across the North Atlantic. Um, and for me, it didn't seem that controversial at all that um, you, you know Europeans and and others uh, had discovered uh, the Americas before uh, before the time of Columbus. I mean, we, of course, what we have to remember is uh, the people who really discovered the Americas were the people already living there. But um, uh, if we look to the old worlds of Asia and Europe. Um, we we know that the Vikings uh, made it um, uh, certainly to to Newfoundland in um, northern Canada um, and perhaps even further south. So it just didn't seem too controversial. But oh boy, uh, uh, suggesting uh, anything like uh, well, there, there might be Roman galleys in Rio, uh, you know, Phoenicians in Phoenix, uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, the uh, the Greeks sailing around um, uh, Southern America, it, 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 that's dismissed as ridiculous. And uh, really, I think the, the the whole point of this book is to really to try and correct the record and not to educate um, people, but to to prompt questions, um, you know, to get people to disprove or prove but research themselves um so there's a lot of questions and yes there are some some points of view that we take uh in the book um but really this should be part of a quest um for the truth what is the point of lying to us about this i mean why do they want us to hold on so tightly to this belief about columbus so uh, for example, uh, just to transfer this uh, question with something that's in the, the book, there was a uh, submarine archaeologist, in other words, a diver uh, who liked looking for old objects. Um, and he was digging, this is Robert Marks, and he was digging in uh, the bay at Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. In fact, the bay uh, was called by the locals the Bay of Jars. And he undertook a, um, a, a submarine uh, dig back in October of 1982 and discovered um, a series of uh, Roman amphorae. Now, amphorae are, are basically containers that would, you know, which would carry wine and oils and things like this. Um, mm. Not only that, but he suggested he had uh, also discovered two Roman galleys just outside the port of Rio. Um, now, it is very exciting news. You can imagine the first thing that uh, you do if you're, uh, if you're digging or you discover something, you know, especially if you're not in your own country, is to, to go and report this to the authorities. And Marx wasn't expecting the response from the Brazilian government, which was to revoke any further digging uh, licenses and to ask him to leave the country. Uh, I think wow. he had a, you know, a day's, um, uh, a, you know, a day to pack and and get out. Curiously, though, a few years later, when he was allowed to return after the, I think the Brazilian dictator, I forget his name, um, uh, was ousted, um, he went to explore the site and had found that it had been covered with mud, sand, and silt. The explanation by the Brazilian government was uh, that it interrupted the um, origin story of that country. In fact, um, it so deeply offended the government, this, any suggestion that firstly Romans, these pagans, um, would have discovered a now Catholic country that was seen as very religiously offensive. And also the, uh, the myth of the foundation of uh, Brazil, I think by the explorer Cabral of Portugal, um, it interrupted all of this. And uh, I, in a strange way, um, it sort of answers the, uh, the question with a point. Why not do people or governments uh, lie or 
being economic with the truth, I think I would prefer. Well, in the introduction, by the way, I'm surprised you didn't have to pause for breath in the introduction there. That was the that was a full introduction for me. Thank you, Patricia. But um, as you listening, anyone who's listening, you'll have heard uh, I'm a lecturer. And my job is, to an extent, dependent on teaching a curriculum um, uh, that is provided, let's say. Mm -hmm. Now, I could, if I wanted to, go into my uh, lectures or go into my classes and I could say, do you know what, I know we've got to cover this, but we're not going to. In fact, everything that we've covered so far is nonsense. I could do that. (laughs) Slight problem oh is if I'm looking to pay, I'm looking to pay my bills the next month. Uh, I'm going to find a few problems. Um, oh gosh, risky so business. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that is the other side. If your job is dependent on uh, repeating the same narrative, then you're not going to challenge it. And I think we have seen, really since the middle of the 1990s, with the uh, spread of the Internet, the ability to share information, that some of the things that we've all grown up with, you know, uh, Columbus in 1492 uh, sailed the ocean blue. Actually, uh, what I would propose to, uh, to everyone listening is, in 1492, Columbus discovered nothing new. <laughs> well, that's more appropriate. That's the truth. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. I don't know why, but that little clicking noise started to come back to haunt us. It sounds like a metronome yeah. is playing in the background. So I don't know if you can adjust your microphone again. But it's Yes, I apologies for that. I'm not sure what it is. Oh, okay. It comes and goes, but it's back now. So, anyways. I don't know if there's anything you can do to. There it goes. It it's stopped. No, nope. then it started. Ay, <laughs> zay. All right. It has a mind well, it's got a mind of its own. <laughs> yes. PK, you and I if are just helps, like. Just, if, it, if it helps, I have just been on mute for uh, the past uh, ten seconds, but I'm not too sure. Either way, if I find a tennis uh, court or a metronome anywhere, I'll tell everyone to stop. It's exactly, just say, knock it off. We don't need the metronome tonight. There it is. It stopped. Yeah. Okay, listen to you. All right. So, yeah, it's it's so troubling because there are a number of archaeologists that have tried uh, to set the record straight about a lot of things, about giants, about uh, the ancient uh, times of civilization that are, are much more ancient than anybody ever thought. And they're met with just tremendous pushback so it's it's very difficult for people like you to try to straighten it out and tell the truth and say no columbus wasn't the first one here you know there were many that came before him and stop giving him credit plus it sounds like columbus wasn't the nicest guy in the world either no and that's an understatement too he uh really was um uh, quite a horrendous character, um, to be fair. As uh, I think so many uh, people that we venerate can be. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, just on on the speaking the truth, my grandma had a um, God rest his soul. Um, uh, my grandma had a uh, a saying uh, which was always speak the truth. That way, you don't need a good memory. Um, uh-huh. Well, yeah. uh, so true. You know, and, with, with archaeology, uh, you know, this is something I've studied for six months, um, you know, um, as part of a degree. Um, the reality with archaeology tends to be it's not – archaeology and finds are not found by, um, you know, people who are qualified. They're found by people digging in their garden, amateur archaeologists, things like that. Um, so I do, I do resent – this very arrogant um, academic world that sort of says, oh, well, because you haven't gone to this university, you're not allowed an opinion. Um, the debate is actually very toxic. I mean, of course, this uh, this book's out, so if anyone's wanting to 
um, look at uh, Uncharted, uh, Google search James Martin and then Uncharted or Tim Wallace Murphy, Uncharted, um, or do this, the, the same, you can uh, Audible, if you do a, a search for Uncharted, James Martin, Uncharted, Tim Wallace Murphy, you can listen to the audio book version as well. Yeah, um, right. Yep. The so it's when when the, I know you've been embarking on telling the truth about a lot of things, not just history, but also the Knights Templar, and which is a big topic in your life, and Rosalind Chapel and all that goes along with it. So you're deep into a lot of these mysteries, which is very exciting. Now, do any of those things tie in with? Americas being discovered previous to Columbus? It, it's possible. I mean, I'm currently writing a second book about uh, that very uh, that very point. But uh, yeah, um, there is a, an interesting um, group of people around the 1360s who um, I should just explain that the Norse had been island hopping really since about 850, 800 AD, uh, leaving Norway, Denmark, uh, to Britain, then to Iceland, to Greenland, to Newfoundland. And as they moved, as they migrated, um, they settled. So they settled in in Iceland and, and they found that they'd named it uh, um, incorrectly because who wanted to go to a place full of ice so when they moved to Greenland they call it Greenland uh, trying to attract colonists true story by <laughs> the way um, wow. and as they colonized um, Greenland uh, had a eastern western and middle settlement and by 1350 the population is about 3,000 people and the Earth went into what we call the Little Ice Age, or the Mini Ice Age, a period of glaciation. And weather conditions began to get substantially cooler uh, from 1350, really until the outset of the Industrial Revolution in the 1750s. And, well, what happened to those people who found that um, gradually... They couldn't feed themselves, you know, the, um, the, the land was no longer providing. So where did they go? We, we know of a handful who ended up back in Europe, but the other, you know, the other 2,950, where did they go? And there's a, a voyage that um, the Pope, in fact, had uh, said on two occasions that we must try and find the last pagans of Europe, as, as the Pope um, referred um, and he was referring, of course, the Greenlanders. And there was another expedition, um, uh, which famously, I think, in some circles, is called the Zeno Voyage. And the Zeno Voyages uh, were essentially a group of um, merchants from uh, Italy who sailed up to Orkney and met up with someone um, who, if you know the Templars, you will know the surname, uh, someone called uh, Henry Sinclair. He was the Earl of Orkney. Now, Orkney, or the Orkneys, um, are a group of islands off the extreme northeast of Scotland. So it's pretty cold. If you're planning the trip, make sure you've got a coat, minimum. Um, and if you don't like the cold... Go and have a look at some pictures. Um, but um, it's quite a, a, a tough uh, place to live. And uh, Henry Sinclair, um, who, uh, well, his descendants would build Roslyn, um, goes on this very obscure expedition with these uh, Italian merchants, the Zeno brothers, um, and heads over uh, to a place called Markalanda, Vinlanda, um, and Hallelander. Now, the Vikings, 300 years previous, had referred to Vinland, perhaps New England, by the way, um, as the place of hmm. wine, its fertile land. Markland, the place of woods. So we're, I think we're really dealing with northern Canada here. 
And then you've got Helleland, uh, which is the rocky, barren place where nothing grows. And then 300 years later, the Henry Sinclair is using, or the Zeno brothers are using, the same language. So I think we're talking about an expedition to try and find what happened to those Greenlanders. Why would Sinclair be doing this? Well, he was descended from not just Normans, um, Normandy now in northern France, which literally means the place of the Norse, of the, the Norse, uh, the northerly people, but also um, on other sides of his family were actual Vikings and Norse settlers. So he's, for me, trying to look at uh, for some of his family if indeed the voyage occurred. Um, and so off they went. Now, what we also now find in New England, and I think not too far away from you, Patricia, are some very interesting uh, places such as the Westford Knight, um, uh, very interesting uh, stone carving, uh, which again, academics refer, oh no, it's just weathering on a, on a rock. Well, I've never seen any form of weathering that manages to carve the, uh, the, uh, the uh, shield of Clan Gunn. Um, Clan Gunn uh, being allies of the Sinclair family. You also have the infamous um, uh, tower uh, at Newport uh, in Rhode Island, which mm-hmm. has the hallmarks of a building tradition that perhaps started with the uh, the Knights Templar. Now, um, I'm going to have to let you down gently. Uh, we're in the 1360s. Um, we know that the Templars were disbanded in 1312. So we're talking perhaps of the descendants of Templars, not actual Knights Templars. But uh, again, I'm uh, writing uh, about this, so uh, hey, I might find I might might have to come back, Patricia, and eat my own words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see when you come back to talk about your next book, right? Uh, but yeah. what you're describing is so interesting, James, because yeah, our definitely. history, our history here, is so much more exotic and than anybody ever thought. I mean, we were like I said, we were sold a bill of goods on Columbus from. I remember this in the sixth grade, you know, learning about getting that beaten into our heads, the name of the ships and all that kind of stuff. And to find out that it's really not true that they didn't discover America is is shocking. And yet at the same time, we hear lately all these other stories like Egyptian artifacts and and hieroglyphics in the Grand Canyon, for God's sake. So... You know, there's so much that has been hidden from us, and it's, I find it appalling. It's its just lie upon lie upon lie, and they just don't want us to know the truth because it upsets their stupid little narratives. And like you said, you know, maybe it's upsetting the religious construct of a certain country or whatever, but there's there's just too many things that have been hidden away that where there's archaeological proof and they just don't want us to know about it. I I don't know. I find it frustrating. What do you think about that? I mean, do you find it as frustrating as PK and I do? Of course I find it frustrating. Um, You know, it it goes like this. Um, I I speak to um, my classes when when covering history and I just say, you know, to the average person, they weren't really interested in kings and queens. They were more interested in survival. So it beggars belief why we still learn about Henry VIII, because um, most people at the time didn't really care who he was uh, um, chopping the head off. Um, and I suppose with that, um, I mean, it, you just mentioned the Egyptians uh, there. Um, there's a, a fascinating, uh, and I'm going to have to, you know, it, give a little bit of a warning uh, it's it's late here uh, where i am so um i'm going to just speak about tobacco drugs and chocolate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um now I, I think at least one of those is appropriate to talk about maybe but uh, of course what i'm referring to are the uh, so-called cocaine mummies 
um, that have been found um, in Egypt, uh, these mummies, um, now residing in museums from the Museum of Natural History in Paris, right the way through to the Manchester Museum in northwestern England. And, well, back in 1976, um, and this is how far back this goes, um, Dr. Michelle Lascott, um, who is curator of the Museum of Natural History of Paris, uh, received various samples of mummified remains um, that, when using an electron, a scanning electron microscope, discovered grains of tobacco clinging to the fibres of the mummy's bandages. Further to yeah. that, it wasn't just tobacco, but you had uh, con- well, what she uh, thought initially was contamination. Um, you know, perhaps the Victorians who were manhandling these mummies had, you know, dropped some tobacco. But then, further uh, examination uh, was undertaken. Uh, this time by Dr. Uh, Balabanova, um, who looked at the intestinal tissue from Ramses and found um, traces of cannabis, cocoa, and tobacco mm, uh, within no, his body cells. Yeah. Um, then, again, in 1992, Egyptian mummies were flown, uh, flown from the Cairo Museum uh, to the um, uh, it's the Museum of Archaeology uh, of Ancient History in Munich, uh, where uh, Balabanova, uh, Dr. Balabanova, undertakes some further test samples and, yet again, um, finds uh, nicotine and cocaine. Now, I, I don't know. Are we suggesting that the pharaohs ha- were, were having quite an exciting party? Maybe. But <laughs> the, key question, the key question is, uh, it certainly puts uh, a different uh, slant on that song, Quark Like an Egyptian, doesn't it? But, um, yeah, um, it does. <laughs> Good yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the, the key, really, is tobacco cocaine, cocoa, etc., hails from the New World. It hails from Central and Southern America. How on earth did it find its way over to ancient Egypt? And not only that, I mean, you know, without getting into my religious uh, background, let's just say the the Old Testament is a little more familiar uh, than the the New for me. Um, You've then got the corn in Egypt. And here is the next uh, strange thing. Um, where we found uh, historian uh, Gunnar Thompson um, described hundreds, um, I I think it was actually built up into the thousands of um, uh, depictions of corn, um, as in American corn. We're not talking about Indian corn, which is a very different plant, looks similar, but American corn. uh, on uh, and in temples and in depictions from papyrus to the stone carving. So again, it, it, the, the question is, logically, how on earth did that happen? Now, um, I don't know if you like corn. Um, I, I've been told by some people when I've done various shows that the way I cook corn cobs is wrong. It needs to be grilled. But I oh. quite like mine boiled. <laughs> Either way, it's uh, fine. You know, <laughs> uh, but I, I tell you, the, the first thing I noticed when I put the corn cob into the pan is it sinks straight to the bottom of the pan. Hmm. And in fact, if you were to put a corn cob, you know, uh, from uh, maize um, from uh, the US, if we were to uh, put that into, let's say, salt water, it would still sink. So we can rule out the idea that the corn cob floated over the ocean and then found its way uh, happily to Egypt, and you know they then went, let's let's plant it and see how, see what happens, because you know one the corn cobs will be very deep at the bottom of the ocean, um, mm-hmm. and two the salt water would destroy the ability uh, for that cob to to germinate. So. 
mm-hmm. again, you know, we, we've got the, the key problems here. It's depicted. Um, I mean, we, we know at Roslyn Chapel, for example, in, 14, in the 1420s, 1440s, that there's a depiction of corn cob uh, above the uh, window to what, what is now called the crypt. It certainly wasn't uh, a crypt um, historically. But um, so where's this coming from? Um, is the key question. You've got yeah. you know, further back. They had to have a trade route, right? Well, exactly. I mean, if we if we could just move on, move on to the area uh, of time that I'm very comfortable with, which is the Roman period. Um, so, mention uh, the second book. Uh, I'm writing about the the rise and then the downfall of the Knights Templar. So obviously, I've started in ancient Rome, and people who know me have just raised their eyebrows and done. Well, yeah, of course you would, but. Let's just have, we think in today's society that we are much more advanced than the societies that have come before us. And it's just not true. Yes, we've got electricity. We're very reliant upon it. Without electricity, well, I imagine our ancestors would be pointing and laughing at us. Um, What do you mean you don't know how to navigate by the stars, etc., etc.? And we tend to think you know, cavemen, um, you know, has been very um, primitive. Well, if you go into some of the caves in uh, deep uh, in cave networks, for example, in southern France, you have the caves of Neo and the Trois Frères, Three Brothers. Um, I've been into um, uh, some of those caves and found artwork after a six-kilometer Oh, roughly three and a half miles, uh, you know, three and a half, four mile walk to see these cave paintings, which we we don't know how they got into the caves uh, because the entrances for us are accidental, um, you know, due to, you know, uh, rock falls and all of this. Um, you go in and you see these incredible works of art and the first question that surely comes across your mind is, very dark in here. How did they light it? Ah, How exactly. They, you know, and then we, then we mm. think, well, you know, cavemen living in caves. Well, if I'm a time traveler and they're holding some sort of torch, all I need to do is blow out the torch and then you've got a dead caveman. Because um, these places are absolutely uh, black as night. So, um, we shouldn't assume that we are so much more advanced uh, than our ancestors who homo sapiens sapiens think like us um, might not talk like us, they might have a different view of the world but they certainly think like us and if you have a look at the Romans for example well um, the Romans had uh, grain vessels uh, that could carry uh, 550 tons um, you had, uh, for example, uh, the Emperor Caligula, um, which, do you know what Caligula means, by the way? No, no. Uh-uh. Oh, this should make you, you, you chuckle. Uh, Caligula means little boots. Little boots? Quite literally. Little, little <laughs> boots or little little shoes. So, uh, oh. insult or... Uh, so uh, that was his, that was his nickname. His real name was Gaius, but he wanted oh to carry one of these, these huge obelisks from Egypt to Rome, and built a vessel that was so large it could carry fourteen hundred and fifty tons. That would oh not be well. That's that remarkable. Be, uh, that wouldn't be succeeded in our times until the 1700s. So, again, you know, we, we, we're not looking at um, primitive uh, people here. Um, and they knew how to sail. Um, we know that the Romans, um, someone called Ptolemy, uh, describes a voyage around Britain to Iceland, the place that he, he says that it smells like Vulcan, you know, literally it's volcanic uh, and all of this. It smells like sulfur. Um, we know that they travelled long distances. But here's just another thing. Um, 
If you measure the distance from end to end of the Mediterranean, from the Straits of Gibraltar, right the way to the, what the place called the Gulf of Iskenderun, um, roughly the Gulf of Alexander, that's 2,500 miles um, running from west to east. But the distance from Africa to South America is 1,600 miles. Mm-hmm. That's 900 miles shorter. Are we really suggesting it's not possible that there, were, there was indeed a trade route? And perhaps a trade route, I mean, the, the, we know the Egyptians were sailing in very large ocean-going vessels to a place they called Punt, today's Somalia perhaps, uh, a very long voyage uh, indeed. We know that they were doing that. We, you know, we know that the Chinese had fleets of tens of thousands, the Admiral uh, Zheng uh, He um, you know, commanded a uh, fleet that uh, you know, I think 10, 20,000 vessels, uh, if not more, um, to Africa. It's quite possible that he carried on and uh, discovered the Americas. We really shouldn't look at uh, the people of yesterday um, with with such derision, you know, as if they're primitive, because I, I think we'll find part of the understanding of the truth is they had some very advanced ideas. Quick question. They had to have, yeah. They had to, and... Yeah, go ahead. I have a question for you then. Yeah, so... Um, when... I was just um, thinking, then of a, I was in a coffee shop about... Oh, six, seven years ago in the UK. And uh, there was uh, a guy from uh, New Zealand, but he was uh, Polynesian by birth. And I was, you know, remarking about how the Polynesians um, were traveling uh, between islands and it's such a vast distance in the Pacific uh, from island to island. And how did they do it? Could no charts have been found? And he said, oh, no, 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 we didn't have charts. We had songs. We sang our way. Now, oh that was incredible for me to think of, and it just made me think, um, if you live in a city, you won't be able to see the stars. You'll be able to see light pollution. Mm-hmm. And as such, you won't notice little changes in the, the heavens. For our ancestors, it was the version of the TV. Every minor detail... Uh, what it was spotted and understood. And that's how they navigated. Could we do what they did back no. then? Today? Oh, no. Probably not. No, no because you're talking about the difference. I'm sorry, I just wanted to finish it. They, they, you're talking about the difference between technology, you know, following technology and follow, and the versus following nature. Very yeah. big difference. I'm sorry, PK. Go ahead. I know you had a question. Or a comment. That's all right. I was because of the distance between. How were they able to uh, keep their supplies that they needed to uh, for food and for water since they were uh, so far, such a large distance between spaces and places? Well, the, the, the Polynesians um, had um, uh, an ability to uh, to not just fish, they, their, their vessels were sort of catamarans, they could fish, but also mm-hmm. like the main water. Um, the, the, if, if you look at the uh, the Vikings, the Norse, as they're uh, tra- island hopping, they're never more than a few days away from land. Uh, okay. The benefit of doing that is that you can um, uh, pull in uh, to get supplies, Etc. Etc. Um, oh, and if anyone's thinking that the um, uh, Polynesian argument is somehow uh, incorrect uh, or you know it, it's speculation, well, again, I've got um, uh, some news because um, uh, the a large group of Polynesians had their DNA uh, tested, and what it found, I mean, this study was actually on Easter Island of all places uh, and what they found is most of the population had DNA that was inherited from people who um, were living on the Caribbean side of northern Colombia. Wow. Um, 
eight, from 800 years uh, previous. So again, we're not, we're, um, we're really not uh, talking about speculation here. I'm really uh, saying, I mean, this was, you know, peer-reviewed, it appeared in Nature uh, and all of that. So, you know, I, I, again, I, I, I'm not sure how much evidence we can throw at the problem for uh, for certain academics and media outlets to uh, to actually accept that you know Columbus wasn't first. Yeah, I was going to be one of my questions to ask you about, but let me just uh, go to a commercial for a minute, and we'll be right back. And I have more questions about fascinating topic. We are talking to James Martin. He is the author of a brand new book called Uncharted: A Rediscovered History of Voyages to the Americas Before. Columbus. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. The health benefits of sunlight to our body are well known. Light energizes. Light lifts your mood. And light can heal. What if all these benefits were combined into one portable device that you can use in the comfort of your home? The German medical device manufacturer Weber Medical has recently launched the Endolite Band. The Endolite Band looks like a smartwatch but does so much more. This revolutionary band is equipped with true laser diodes that irradiate the circulating blood via your arteries. Each color provides its own powerful benefits. Red and infrared light deliver energy and regulate your immune system and blood pressure. Yellow is a real mood booster and improves sleep quality. Green impacts oxygen supply. And blue has anti-inflammatory effects. The Endolite band has three programs. Recharge helps you start your day with energy. If you want to unwind and clear your head after a busy day, select Relax. When you need full support, select Recover, activating all diodes at the same time for the full range of effects. Improve your well-being at the touch of a button. 30 minutes per day gives you the advantage, and there are no side effects. Let the Endolite Band bring you a healthier life. Order now at www.wmedicalsystems.com. That's www.wmedicalsystems.com wmedicalsystems.com And we're back everybody. We are speaking with James Martin who is the author of a brand new book Uncharted, a rediscovered history of voyages to the Americas before Columbus. You can get your own copy now. It is also available as an audiobook. So if you don't like to read anymore, you can just listen and it's a great book. So, James, we're talking about some really fascinating things that have gone on in history and been fairly ignored. But here's another one. I was told that if the Egyptians and the cavemen, whatever, were using just like torches or some type of a gas lamp to bring light into these very dark caves or very dark temples, that there would have been soot on the walls, and there wasn't any. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, it was one of the... I've been to the caves of Neo, um, as I say, that lovely four-mile walk, uh, very narrow passages. Uh, I certainly went on a diet uh, the next time I went. Um, uh, yeah, uh, one of the questions to the uh, archaeologist um, uh, who was with us was, uh, and based at that site was, there's no evidence of any sort. In fact, what's more, there was no examples of any um, uh, any uh, cooking uh, or anything like this. And no bones mm-hmm. were, were found. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that could be explained by animals taken away, maybe. But equally, no evidence of charring on the ground, um, which would not normally indicate um, some sort of uh, cooking. And again, no sort. And Curiously, um, a lot of the very deep and dark monuments and caves, etc., are in places that are acoustically perfect. Um, I mean, one of the things that I had the great privilege to do on, on two occasions was to, well, perhaps not for everyone who was with me, but uh, uh, sing a few uh, songs in those caves, and it was uh, my hair's one end. Um, mm. Yeah. And, and by the way, just a, another point, uh, anyone listening, if you think you're cheating by listening to an audio book, can I just say, written history is only about six to 8,000 years old. How else did we tell our stories uh, before that? 
It was through word of mouth. Right. That's right. Very true. Yes. Yes. This is, it's just so, it's so fascinating and frustrating at the same time. (laughs) Because as you mentioned right before we went to break, um, what does it take to get people to see the truth? What does it take to get them to understand that, no, Columbus did not discover America? We've got a whole other history here that we need to take a look at. What does it take to change people's well, minds? There's a various um, places of interest. Now, we, what we have to do is we have to approach things with a, a degree of healthy skepticism. We can't jump immediately to... Um, ah, whether we're using, um, I don't know, a flying hoverboard. Um, you know, we can't do that. What we need to do is, is look at as um, many facts as we can and come to a conclusion. You know, it's a theory of gravity, but if you don't believe in the theory, then I'd suggest you walk over to a cliff and uh, try your luck. Uh, I think we can accept <laughs> gravity exists. Um, and for, for a long time, a lot of those theories were dismissed as this is nonsense. I mean, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the church only, I think, in, uh, uh, I think it was 1964, um, the Catholic Church, I should say, uh, only accepted finally that uh, Galileo was right, after all, that uh, the earth goes round the sun. Um, these things take time. But it's exciting, you know, we, if you understand that, why is it people are continuing a particular narrative? You know, firstly, we all have to survive, so money, is that it? Secondly, there are some people who fervently believe um, that, no, 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 it has to become this, whether it's a religious belief, whether it's, a, you know, um, that's what they were brought up with. Having a the, the worst sorts of people I've ever come across uh, range from uh, those who are ideologically fixed. Nothing, no arguments, uh, you know, nothing like that will change their view, even though you can throw evidence. Okay, then on the other side, you've got um, uh, academics who, uh, you know, these absolute purist skeptics who just can't uh, be flexible, you know, despite questions. For everyone in the middle, a degree of flexibility is required and patience because this isn't going to change overnight. Lancer Meadow, uh, which for me and you means something like Jellyfish Cove in Newfoundland. The United Nations, UNESCO, uh, the site at Lancer Meadow uh, in Newfoundland accepted as a Viking, uh, probably a ship repair facility. So they're repairing ships there. Where were the settlements? They're probably yet to be discovered. We're still in the age of exploration. And there are still those who are saying, you know, well, the Earth's flat. And, you know, there are still people who are saying that, uh, oh, no, Columbus and Columbus. But we need some patience and also uh, some strength. It won't surprise you to, to learn that uh, various of the uh, purist skeptics have been right up the book and, uh, no, this is nonsense and all of that. Well, hey, um, the book doesn't open with everything in here is the truth. It opens mm-hmm. up with uh, an explanation that we are just trying to probe questions to allow people to, you know, who might already be thinking, well, hold on, what about these Norse? What about all that? Or perhaps even the fact that Columbus never set foot in the continental Americas. You know, he, at best you could, you could say Columbus landed on I think, the island of Hispaniola. That's about it, really. And then just have a little look further back. Uh, when did he say, uh, 1492, well, what's going on in Spain? Well, the beginning of 1492 there wasn't a country called Spain it's only later in that year that there's a unification of the two crowns of Castile and Aragon to form Spain named after the old Roman province of Hispania the very Catholic 
monarchy in a very Catholic uh, country of Spain. This is meant of no disrespect to, to people of our faith, by the way. Um, undertake um, firstly uh, the reconquest or the reconquista. They pushed the Moors out of uh, southern um, Spain. Uh, the Moors being a bit um, uh, believers of, of, of Islam that had been there since the uh, 8th century. So they recon- reconquer the Iberian Peninsula, 1492. The wow. crowns unified, 1492. Um, to that country's shame, and they have uh, atoned for it, um, you know, the expulsion of the Jews uh, from Spain and Sephardim. Um, you know, um, all of this, 1492. And then you're telling me that, you know, just for more prestige to impress the Pope, they randomly discover the new world. Well, what happened to all of the um, maps and the previous discoveries and uh, and all of this? You know, uh, what happened there? Um, and, you know, this is uh, where it gets a little bit more interesting. Um, what we have is um, a professor from the University of Milan back in... Uh, 2018, part of a longer research project, had discovered some notes from a monk uh, based in the city of Genoa. Now, Genoa is not nowhere near a port, um, but it is near, um, or it does have links, I should say, to, to some ports like Venice um, uh, to its uh, uh, eastern, um, uh, then over to um, uh, its west, you know, the, the um, some uh, ports, and essentially, you know, is having to trade in order to you know, feed its population, you know, that kind of stuff. And there were a variety of, oh, excuse me, uh, sorry, um, this is Milan, uh, Genoa is one of the ports. But anyway, what, what he discovered was a monk, um, um, I, I'm not going to even attempt to, uh, to pronounce it, but we'll just call him Flamel, um, he was writing in 1350 uh, a history of the city of Milan. And in this text, um, the professor finds references to a land uh, far beyond Spain and, and France and Britain, um, a place where it's eternally night or eternally day. Um, where there are strange creatures, there are giants, um, which if you've ever met anyone from Scandinavia, you could certainly uh, see where they were coming from. And then, crucially, from 1350, in Italy, there we've got the references again to Vinland, Markland, and Helleland, in text that has been carbon-dated, um, that has been verified. We know the, where the books have been um, in this story of Milan. So, and uh, it, all of this is in the book. So, you know, if Christopher Columbus is, um, um, you know, meant to be from Italy or from Spain, it doesn't matter. You know, Aragon and Spain used to control southern Italy at this period. Um, if traders, who are usually quite secretive if they're, uh, you know, uh, trading places, you know, you don't want to interrupt their profit. But if they're openly discussing this in the trading ports of uh, the Italian peninsula, then surely more people knew about, um, you know, the new world than, than is being let on. And I think Columbus uh, knew all of that. And I think uh, my gut instinct is that he probably took a map. Um, yeah, he likely interviewed traders um, because if we do believe that he thought he was sailing off the edge of the earth then you'd probably want some assurances you'd speak to as many people as possible I think he was aiming for the United States and landed in the wrong place Hmm. how interesting gosh well James you've put together a lot of pieces of the puzzle I mean you've offered up some interesting proof in your books in your book, and Definitely. it's again, it's it's a fascinating read, and everybody should get it and get 
very clear on what our history was versus what we've been taught in school. And we're looking forward to your next book about the Knights Templar because that's another great mystery, and I know you're working hard at uncovering a lot there, too. But we thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been very enlightening. My pleasure. The book is excellent. Yes. And again, the name of the book, everybody, is Uncharted, A Rediscovered History of Voyages to the Americas Before Columbus. Well, James, thank you again for joining us. And again, everybody, we will be back next week with another great show. We're talking about healing the relationship we have or don't have with our ancestors. Be sure to join us. Until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.